glad to be here with you. Um, I had a basically taking a short little four-day weekend to come back in the middle of the internship so we can take care of some construction things. Yay! Uh, but it, it really is good to be back with this spiritual family. Um, I think we don't, I have been telling everybody all the time, you do not know how blessed we are. So I'm just very happy to be with you all. Um, this morning, I just wanted to share something that's very simple. Um, but I think that's very important. So I know Jessica prayed, but I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the cross today. Jesus, I just thank you so much for your mercy and for your love and for your goodness, God. And I just ask that you would reveal the parts of your heart that you so desire to show us today. God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see you rightly, to give us ears to hear you and to obey, Father, that we would respond rightly to the love that you have lavished on us in the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. All right. Um, so something that was highlighted to me just as I've been in my internship is I've been so excited. You know, I was thinking, oh, we're going to get to study this book of the Bible and that book of the Bible. And I was very excited to learn new things. But to be perfectly honest with you, I feel like the Lord has been reminding me, at least, to go back to an old thing um, and to really go back to remembering and, and meditating on his cross. And one of the reasons why I feel like this is um, kind of a difficult concept for us is because in the West, at least, we tend to almost think of Christianity in some ways as something that can be learned. And when we think about it or approach it in that way, then the cross kind of gets thrown into like the Christianity 101 category. And you learn about it when maybe when you're a new believer or not a believer yet. But then once you kind of have it down, so to speak, and I use, I use quotes here, but once, you know, it's like, okay, I got it. Like, Jesus died for my sins. I get it up here. We're going to move on to the next thing. You know, we're going to move on to something more exciting like the resurrection or like the end times or, or prophecy or the gifts of the Spirit. And we rush ahead of the Lord, but we leave behind something so precious and so essential to our faith when we do that that we miss out on a lot. So this is, this is kind of one of the problems with living in the age of information where, you know, we're constantly being peppered by new thoughts or new ideas or new this or new that. Like, we tend to move on very quickly, but the cross is something that is central to the Christian faith and that will always be central, like, even for eternity. So we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. Um, because I think that one of the things I want to encourage us against is that we wouldn't think that we've got it up here because actually it's a person and there's aspects of God's heart that are only demonstrated in the cross. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today because those are the things that we don't want to miss. We cannot afford to miss them. All right. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Revelation we're actually going to start, I just have chapter 5, verse 6 up there, but we're going to start in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. It's a short little chapter, so we're going to read from 4, 4 to 5, 6. 
Revelation 4, 4 to 5, 6. I'm just, I'm going to read it out loud. I'd encourage you guys just to follow along with me in your Bibles. It says, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothing and wearing gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came forth lightnings, voices, and thunderings. And before the throne were seven flaming torches, which are the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living beings covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living being was like a lion, the second living being was like an ox, the third living being had a face that looked human, and the fourth living being was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living beings had six wings and was covered with eyes inside and out, and day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is Adonai, God of heaven's armies, the one who was, who is, and who is coming. And whenever the living beings give glory, honor, and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, to the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one sitting on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and worship him. They throw their crowns in front of the throne and say, You are worthy, Adonai Eloheinu, to have glory, honor, and power. Because you created all things. Yes, because of your will, they were created and came into being. Next, I saw in the hand of the one sitting on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look inside it. I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. One of the elders said to me, don't look, don't cry, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has won the right to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw, standing there with the throne and the four living beings, in the circle of the elders, a lamb that appeared to have been slaughtered. He had seven horns and seven eyes which are the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into all the earth. There's a lot that can be said about this passage, but what I want to draw our attention to is that there is so much going on around the throne of God. There's thunderings and lightnings. It's like this huge cosmic storm there's all these creatures with eyes all over them so that they can see and behold and perceive the glory and the beauty of God. There's so much going on around his throne, but in the center of all these creatures and beings, there's a lamb, and he has the appearance of having been slaughtered. This is something that I think is noteworthy because Jesus could have taken any form forever. Like he could have lived in any form that he wanted to forever and ever, but even in eternity, in the middle of the throne, there he is as the lamb who was slain. 
So what this should tell us is that even in eternity, we're still going to be marveling at this particular aspect of his character. Like this is what's going to blow us away. And it's interesting because even the Bible tells us that angels have desired to peer into the mysteries that we get to see. And it's interesting because why on earth would the angels, like what do we have that they don't have? They're in heaven. Like I would think that heaven would be the better deal, right? Like I'd rather be there than here right now if we're being honest. But they longed to peer into what we were given because we were given revelation of God as the lamb who was slain. The angels don't necessarily get they they waited for so long and finally we were given this expression of his heart and this is noteworthy because if you imagine God he had to hide his face from Moses so that Moses wouldn't die like he is clothed in unapproachable light in glory that we cannot imagine and that we cannot see and yet the picture of Jesus that we're given is a man hanging on a cross. Why is that? Because if we're being honest, I think sometimes that looks foolish to us and it looks weak to us. Why is our Savior, why is our God the weak one on the cross? It says to the world, the cross appears as foolishness. Foolishness. I'm making up words. So, what I want to point out is that our human nature, our human tendency is that we, we don't like to be exposed in our weakness, right? Like we like to hide our weakness. We don't want people to see us crying. We don't want people to see us vulnerable. My grandmother, bless her heart, is staunchly independent. And for a while, my um she didn't want anybody to come visit her for like a period of a few days to weeks. And then finally, one of my aunts broke through and visited her where she lives. And she had all these bruises on her face. And my aunt was like, what on earth happened to you? And my grandmother finally confessed that she fell. And she had done a face plant. But she was so ashamed and she didn't want to be seen as weak. So she didn't tell anybody. And this is like, this is, I see this as a nurse all the time. Like when patients are in a, a position that, that they're vulnerable in and they don't have their strength, they don't have their dignity and their privacy. We don't like that at all. We hide that. Like our flesh hides that. But Jesus actually put this on display. And we're going to look at why. The second thing I want to point out about our human tendencies is that when we go through suffering, we tend to hone in and we have like just a singular focus on only our suffering. That's usually all we can see. When we go through suffering, we have the tendency just to look at our suffering and we kind of block out the needs of other people around us. And we don't really think so much about, hey, maybe the person next to me is suffering more. But we, we focus actually on our own suffering way more than than perhaps is, is reasonable or is merited. And in the midst of suffering, our tendency or our inclination is to accuse God or to accuse other people, right? 
uh, and we're not faithful to others sometimes when suffering or pressure comes and it forces like that icky sin inside of us to come to the surface. But contrast that with Jesus on the cross. Jesus was not embarrassed of his weakness. You can't, like, we can't fathom this. There's no king, no president, not Trump, not Biden, not, you know, no one from China or America would want to be seen in a position of weakness. They just don't do that. But Jesus actually wanted to show us something on the cross. Like, he actually wanted to put that part of himself on display. And not only that, but he wasn't, feeling sorry for himself while he was on the cross, even though he had every right to. God has actually suffered more than anyone in the universe. When we think about the way that he sent his son on the cross to die unjustly for, for the sins of people that hate him, that's a huge injustice. He made all of creation and every day he sees the, the good things that he made getting perverted again and again. He hears all of the cries of suffering and injustice. No one has suffered more than God. But even as he's on the cross, he's telling John, John, take my mom into your home. Take care of my mother. She's your mom now. Like, take care of her. He's looking at the criminal next to him and saying, you're going to be with me today. Like, I'm going to remember you when I come into your, to my kingdom. You'll be with me today in paradise. He's thinking of the criminal next to him. Like, Jesus didn't have an ounce of selfishness in him. And we see that because under pressure, whatever's inside of us gets squeezed out and we can't hide it anymore. But he had nothing bad to hide. He only had humility and love inside of him and faithfulness. And I think one of, oh, I paused my own timer, whoops. One of the, I love this quote from Samuel Whitfield because I feel like he gets at the heart of what God was trying to put on display in the cross. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. this. Every time Samuel Whitfield has a new book come out, I'm like, this is my favorite. No, not this one's my favorite. It just keeps getting better and better. Next book. Next one for book club. <laughs> so it says, as long as he sat in the heavens, God could not be fully seen. He was veiled by the splendor and terror of the glory that surrounds his majestic throne. On the cross, however, God was naked, fully revealed. In the humiliation of a crucified human form, God was fully unmasked and no longer obscured by unapproachable light. I love this about God because sometimes, have you ever heard typically from like atheists or sometimes just Christians that are just like, well, I get this, like, a lot of times, like, people will ask, well, if God's real, why doesn't he just show himself? Like, why doesn't he just kind of bust open the heavens and boom, here I am in all my glory? And honestly, I think this is why. I think this is one of the reasons why he doesn't do that. Is because if we were to just see him in all of his glory and his splendor and his majesty, we wouldn't get to see the 
deepest parts of his heart. Because there's such deep parts of Jesus, like his meekness and his humility, that you don't get to see unless he's on a cross. You don't get to see the way that he prefers others above himself until he is bleeding and his body is lashed and his skin and his muscles are ripped to shreds. You don't get to see the purest form of love that is inside of him on display outside of the cross. And it's not that anything in him changed or changes, but there is no other display like this known to man. There is no other way that we would get it outside of seeing him do this for us. There's People are always moved by stories that we hear where someone has been self-sacrificial. You know, like people were very moved of, uh, you know, during 9-11 when we, you'd hear stories of firefighters that would run into buildings that they know are coming down on top of them were moved even today, you know, in the pandemic by, you know, everyone's like thanking frontline workers. Thank you for risking, you know, putting yourself on the line for us. And that moves us because there's something in the, the human nature in and of itself, like that is not normal to us. And it, it captures our attention because there is something precious in the cross. And I think that um, every time we have an accusation against God or every time we even go through suffering ourselves, I think it behooves us, even when our hearts are just getting a little dull. You know, like sometimes our hearts just get a little dull and they get a little dusty and we get stuck in a routine, but it behooves us to look at this again because there's parts of Jesus that he really, really wants us to understand. I think the... We can make a mistake sometimes in enjoying or reaping the benefits of his suffering without actually acknowledging the heart behind it. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we enjoy the benefits of the cross. We all want forgiveness from our sins and we all want a better life. We all want eternal life. No one wants to die. But sometimes we kind of come up and we're like, okay, thank you, Jesus. And we take it and then we just kind of run away. But Jesus is like bearing the deepest parts of his heart for us to see. And so it, it would, this is why it's so important that we not just like move on too quickly past the cross and be like, hey, thanks God. Thanks for dying for my sins. Peace. But actually like he wants us, he commands us, you know, hey, every time, you take communion, do this in remembrance of me. Paul even, Paul was the, the foremost of the apostles, had the biggest missionary impact of anybody in the New Testament. And Paul even said, I have determined to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. This doesn't really match our thinking of, okay, Paul, you've been through Christianity 101. Okay, move along now, like teach us how to plant churches, teach us how to have a good Christian life, how to behave right. Paul never moved past this, and I think that we can learn something from that. Yeah. 
So again, just the cross reveals some of the deepest aspects of God's heart that were previously unseen. I want to point out that in light of this, we have a very unique opportunity in this time period here on earth, like this life that you are given now, we have a unique opportunity to love the Lord. And I once heard someone say that God has a problem. It's like he's a millionaire or a billionaire trying to find a wife for his son. But how on earth do you find a wife and know that the wife is interested in the son and not the money? And God, likewise, is in a similar situation that he's trying to find a bride and a companion that is equally yoked to Jesus in love. But how do you find a people that you know loves God for who he is and not just what he gives them and not just what he provides? Because as much as we as humans, every single one of us has this desire to be known deeply and intimately. We want someone else to be able to see inside of us and to understand us. And God actually has that same desire. But his is not rooted in insecurity. Like sometimes ours is kind of muddled with a little bit of insecurity or if we're trying to find identity in other people. God is completely secure in his identity and yet, he still has this desire to make himself known, to make his heart known, and to have people share that with him. This is what we're invited into. So, there's certain things that are unique to this age in the way that we get to express our love to him. And one of the things is, is that this is the only age, this is the only time ever in comparison to all of eternity, this is the only time we will have the opportunity to love God in the midst of our suffering. I don't know about you, but that changes the way that I see my suffering. Because sometimes I slip into like just wanting to have a normal, comfortable life and just be peaceful and okay and nothing goes wrong. But then when I realize this is the only chance I get to love God in the midst of suffering... And I will never get that opportunity again for all of eternity, then that makes me want to do it well. Yeah. Right? Like, we will never, like, we're going to have resurrected bodies. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any crying or pain or injustice. Like, it will be perfect. This is the only shot that we have at this. So, it makes, it should cause us to want to love Him even more in the midst of suffering. The second, um, this, I don't think humility in and of itself is necessarily unique to this time period because it'll carry over into the age to come. But this, uh, in light of the cross, like we have opportunity to respond to God in humility. And this is, as many people have said, we're in kind of the training season or the audition or the formation season for all of eternity. Like the choices that you make now matter. When we choose to humble ourselves, maybe it's just with your parents or your wife or your husband or your, you know, your sibling. When you choose humility, like you are loving God in a way that will last forever. And the second thing is, or the, sorry, the third thing is faith. This is the only 
age that we have the opportunity to love him even though we haven't seen him. And this is important because if you, I think if we could see God in his fullness, I think we would maybe respond perhaps a little differently. At least, or we may feel obligated to some degree. You know, like, if someone important comes into the room, suddenly everybody kind of wakes up and they dust themselves off and they kind of shape up a little bit, right? If someone famous were to come in, we would carry ourselves differently. And part of that is sin, actually. But I think that this is the only time that we get to work out our love for the Lord in faith and in trust. And so this ties back to trusting in his character as he's displayed himself on the cross. Um, and I want to just point out a few things that in as we go through different challenges in life, maybe big or small, but there's some things about suffering that we need to understand. And one is that it's temporary. God has appointed times and seasons. I remember when I was working night shift, I was miserable. I was like, I was so tired all the time. Your brain can't think straight. Like you just feel like your world is upside down and it'd be like, oh gosh, I have to do it again tomorrow night. And in the midst of that, like suffering, I was like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. But then finally one day, my manager walks up to me and she says, hey, I have a date for you. This is the date you're going to switch to day shift. And it was a ways off, but once I got that, I was like, all right, I can do this. I can endure a little longer because I can see the light at the end. And we lose sight of this a little bit, but there is a big, big, big light at the end of this tunnel. <laughs> like, we don't, even, we don't even grasp it. I've been reading, sorry, this is Bunny Trail. But I've been reading this book on near-death encounters, and it is fascinating because this man collected stories of people that have died and come back. They've either been resuscitated with CPR or they just, I don't know, God just breathed on them or something. I don't know what happened, but these people that had these near-death experiences describe their experience and what they saw and smelled and felt and heard and it is so true that no eye has seen and no ear has heard no heart has fully known what God has prepared for those who love him it's incredible that these people are describing a world that is in an entirely different dimension that has colors that we've not seen smells that are so different than what we know and when they come into the presence of Jesus, he's light and they can feel his love permeating through every part of them. Like we have no idea what's waiting for us. And we're so short-sighted sometimes that we get stuck in the suffering that we're in presently, but we have no idea what's ahead of us. And so we have to remind ourselves with the promises of God that there are actually appointed times and seasons that he has, and that there is an appointed end to suffering. There's also, and this is a separate study, but even if you look at the churches in Revelation, Jesus has specific rewards that he's promised for those that endure 
suffering for his name's sake. So there's eternal rewards. And lastly, it's an opportunity to understand parts of his heart that we wouldn't otherwise get access to. There's something about going through seasons of suffering with someone that you know them so much deeper and so much better than if you had just enjoyed the blessings with them. And so Jesus invites us as well into certain parts of his heart. Um, I'm going to invite Priscilla up now just to lead us in a, a time of response. As we just kind of focus, I just want to encourage us just to remember the cross and to, to view even our own suffering in, in light of what Jesus has experienced and what he invites us into, to know him and to know parts of him that we would not otherwise know. love this sermon today, going back to the cross, the icon of Christianity and what it's about. Let's take a moment to just reflect on some of the things that Becca has talked about and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us directly. Um, are there areas that the Holy Spirit is highlighting that we have uh, just focused on our own suffering and not seen? Uh, the light that he offers at the end. Do we take the benefits of the cross um, without meditating and, and seeing the heart of the one who gives it? Let's just take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us.
love you and to be your friend. That you are the one who suffered more than any and you were not. There was not an ounce of self-pity in you. God, we just say that you're beautiful in that. That you are, your heart is beautiful. That your humility is beautiful. That you, the Lamb, are the center of all the worship and glory and magnificence. That you, the Lamb, are slain. Your heart of humility and meekness is beautiful. Teach us that beauty. That we would, you would impart it to us. That we would not walk gazing at ourselves. take on the cloak of meekness and humility. <laughs> Let's go ahead and stand up and worship. And if you guys would just lead us in some worship time, we'll continue to pray. Oh, uh-huh. 